join with me by opening your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 2. We're going through this chapter verse by verse. We come this morning to verses 9 through 11. Hear God's Word. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Once the thing we've looked at... Um, living a life according to the example of Christ and the benefits we get from being humble and helpful and, um, what was the other one? Harmonious. Come on, y'all got to think faster than me, right? Um, So we've looked at that, and then we get to this section. It seems to be about rewards, that God rewards Christ for that, and the implication is that If Christ is being rewarded for living that life, we're living that life. The rewards come to us as well. There was, uh, it reminded me of a Pennsylvania steel mill where the labor and the management are miles apart typically. And they called an all-company meeting. And so all the the big wigs with their white shirts and ties, you know, were, were up on the stage and a platform and everybody else in the mill uh, below them, and they said, we're called this meeting to uh, demonstrate that we're watching you, and we are intending to reward our hardest working, our, our most productive, our most um, uh, beneficial employees, and so we have before us this morning this, this man, he's in his overalls, he's been working here for over a year, and very conscientious, been really working hard. As a matter of fact, he's been getting $100 bonuses every week because of his, his great work. And we want to recognize that we reward people like that, and today we're moving him out of the labor force into management. He's going to become our next vice president of company policy. What do you think about that young man? And the president of the company turns to him, and he says, gee, thanks, Dad. And, you know, it's a funny story, but it's, it's a principle we get. And that is, a lot of times, our biggest and greatest rewards come from our Father. Especially when we think about our Heavenly Father. Okay? And that's what's happening here. With the word, therefore. You see it there in verse 9. Therefore, God, God the Father has highly exalted His Son, Jesus. The reward is from God the Father. And I want us to see that and understand the significance of that, that God, the Creator of the earth, who is planning this planet, who does what He does for His reasons, has in mind to exalt Christ, and has, and does. And that has implications for us. So that's why I see it as reward time. When you get into this passage of Scripture, the focus is on what God the Father does. He highly exalts Him, a place of supremacy. He secondly, verse 10, He subjugates the whole world. Every knee bows. They're subdued. And He also brings us to a place 
of acknowledging that Christ is Lord brings us to that glorious place of significance. So let's look at those three kind of implications of what God the Father is doing here because of Christ's work of uh, humility and harmony and helpfulness. First of all, God's applying a principle that you notice all the way through Scripture. It's the principle of exalting the humble. For those who humble themselves, one of the principles that we begin with humility. God wants to exalt the humble, and he brings down the prideful. That's God's MO. That's his mode of operation. If you want to be significant, you want to get to that exalted place, you got to understand this principle. God exalts the humble, brings down the prideful. You don't get there, you don't find anybody in heaven saying, yep, I got here because I worked hard, and I made it work. No, God exalts the humble. And we've talked about the humble being that person who understands his gifts that God's given him, and he basically just stays in his lane, doing what God has called him to do, and not trying to be like somebody else, not trying to do somebody else's job. Do what God's called us to do with the gift he's given us. That's where humility lies, and God wants to exalt that person. Uh, look at, let me just show the principle. Let's begin. Look at Matthew 18, verse 4. Matthew 18, verse 4. This is so contrary to our culture's perception of how we need to live. Uh, the culture always says, now look out for yourself, push yourself forward, always uh, exalt yourself. God says, no, that's not the way I, I run my earth. Matthew 18, verse 4 says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God's looking at humility. And when he sees a little child exhibit what he's going for, he says, make sure you note that. You want to remember that example. Look at chapter 23, verse 12 of Matthew. Chapter 23, verse 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Said again, different context. It just keeps coming up over and over. Luke chapter 18, verse 14. It says, I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then one more. And I'm not giving you all of them, but one more. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may 
exalt you. God's not opposed to exalting you. But he says, I want to start with humility. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. It's like, how many times do I have to say it? How many times did God have to say it? This is the principle on, by which I'm going to give rewards. I'm going to exalt those who are humble. I'm not looking to see the high achiever, the person who's pushed himself up and done what nobody else has done. I'm looking to see the person who has taken the gifts and abilities and position and place on this planet that I gave them, and I'm looking to see them be faithful. Not seeking to push themselves forward, but seeking to use what I've given for my glory and to use it well. And to use it faithfully. That's the person I'm looking for. And that's the person I exalt. Quite different than the way the world looks at things um, altogether. We, we want to exalt ourselves and talk about our records and what we've done. Um, you also notice in all of those passages, as well as back in Philippians chapter 2, therefore God highly exalted him. You notice... Active verbs and passive verbs. Uh, that our activity, our active verb is to be humble. To be helpful, to be harmonious. That's what we are to do actively. God acts upon us. We're passive when the exaltation takes place. God is the one exalting us. He never tells us we exalt ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, God's in charge of exaltation. Not you, not me, not somebody else. God is in charge of exalting who will be exalted in heaven and on earth. He puts us where He wants us to be. He's in charge of that. Therefore, God highly exalted Christ. And therefore, God highly exalts those who humble themselves like Christ. Exaltation is left up to God. Now, Christ says, God says, verse 9, highly exalted Christ. It's like super exalted Christ. Supremely exalted Christ. That's really what the text is referring to. Christ is not just exalted. He's exalted to the highest place, to the supreme place. He reaches the highest. He is raised beyond where anyone else is. Now, it's, it's a concept we don't hear much, so let, let me just give you a few verses. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. I want you to think beyond heaven, okay? Hebrews 4, verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Where's Jesus gone? You would say, well, he's gone to heaven. Hebrews 4.14 says, no. He went through the heavens. Heavens wasn't even a stopping off place. He went right on through. Okay? We typically let our minds stop there. Look at chapter 7 of Hebrews. Go over a few chapters. Chapter 7, verse 26 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted 
above the heavens. So he didn't just go through the heavens. There's some other place that he's exalted to. Beyond the heavens. I want you to begin to, to feel this and grasp this because you, you have passages even in the Old Testament where it says God has to stoop down to look into the heavens and the earth. God's far above anything in your imagination. One other verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. He who descended, talking about Christ, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I, I can't even imagine all that's in heaven. I can't ma- imagine passing through the heavens. It's, to me, it's like, okay, I, I can maybe imagine there's one more layer above the heavens. And yet this text says, no, far above the heavens. Putting the thought in my head, oh, so there's a bunch of stuff higher than heaven. And Christ is even beyond it, beyond conception, so that he can be over it all and fill it all with his glory and his majesty. That's exaltation. That's what God the Father has the authority to do, to highly, supremely exalt Christ. And he puts Christ in this position that's far above until he gives them, verse 11, the name that is above every name, that, at, that every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Now, He's lifted high above, and I don't think the emphasis here is on the word or the name Jesus. He didn't say he gave him. The, he didn't say he gave them Jesus as his name. So that the prepositions put in there is like this is just an descriptive. The name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And it's, you see the progression. Every knee bows and doesn't say Jesus. But every knee bows and says, Lord. He wants Christ exalted to a place that we recognize that he has not only a name, but the position that's above everyone else and everything else, created, uncreated, whatever, that he is, he's the Lord. He's the master. He's the controller. He's the creator. He's the one who is, as far as it goes, far higher or above whatever you've imagined. He's there. And he looks down upon us We must bow and look up at him. There's no one higher. There's no greater person, place, name than the name of Christ. Let me share two Old Testament passages, and they'll make sense when I tell you a story in just a minute. Look at Isaiah 42, verse 8. 
Isaiah 42, verse 8. God speaking, says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Now, if you didn't read the whole chapter, you don't have the full context, I'm not going to take the time to give it to you. You could come to some wrong conclusions. Isaiah keeps going. I'm going to take you kind of to the end. Look at chapter 45, beginning at verse 21. Chapter 45, verse 21. And by the way, it was a non-Christians who pointed this out to me. I just, it blew me away. Um, they didn't know they were misinterpreting it, and they highlighted it for me. I said, wait, you got that wrong, and then it just, whoa, blew me away. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none besides me. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall swear allegiance. Lordship. So who's he talking about? Because that is clearly parallel to Philippians 2. Every knee bows. Every tongue acknowledges Christ is Lord. And God is saying that is true statement. In the New Testament that explains the Old Testament. saying... That true statement is about Jesus. There's no other God beside him. There's no one more supreme than him that we would exalt. Here's the story. I was visiting a lady who had uh, just gotten out of the hospital from colon cancer surgery. Um, they removed part of her colon. Uh, and I knew from her being in the hospital that uh, she didn't get... Um, a lot of love and mercy and prayers, and I wanted to make sure I checked up on her. Uh, by the way, it's not the way it is here at New Covenant, and if you haven't joined the mercy team, if you've got that gift of mercy, you can sit down with people and pray with them and hold their hand and care for them. Join the mercy team. Talk to Tom Buter. Uh, it's just wonderful when more people than the pastor show up and, and pray and care for you, and y'all do it so much better than me, typically. Uh, and so much more often than I am able. <clears throat> but this is one time where I was able, went to this lady's house. She was still in pain from surgery, uh, and we were just talking about it and what God was teaching her and how things were going. And she noticed she had a driveway, one of these driveways, it was kind of a long driveway, and, and you wonder, do I go down or do I park on the street? You know, that kind of driveway. It's like... Uh, don't know what I'm going to get into down there. Well, so two gentlemen parked on the street, and they were walking down the driveway. And I still remember her sitting on her couch, and she looks over her shoulder, and she sees these two men with their little briefcase. She says, Jehovah's Witness. 
They always come and bother me. You're the preacher, you answer the door. <laughs> Being the merciful man that I was, you know, no, it's your house. No, you, you get up. No. I said, okay, I got this. And I went to the door and I said, I'm not the person who lives here. I'm visiting that person. But that person came and asked me if I would answer the door when they, she saw you. So first question she would have, I want to confirm, are you Jehovah's Witness? And they said, yes, we, we definitely are. I said, okay, um, what's your purpose? What, what, what are you wanting to do? Well, we want to share that there is salvation. And this is their words. There is salvation in no one else other than God. And I said, absolutely right. Um, and then I, I said, well, do you believe Jesus is God? And they said, oh, no, Jesus, a God. And I said, where do you get that from? And they opened their Bible and I said, it's in John 1, verse 1. And they read John 1, verse 1, says Jesus is a God. I said, that is absolutely the worst translation I have ever heard. Where did you get that? And they said, oh, that's our watchtower. I saw our own personal translation. I said, well, you need to throw that away. Do you have anything else? And they pulled out of their briefcase King James. They did have another translation. I said, all right, read it in that one. And John 1, verse 1 does not say Jesus is a God in King James. I said, much better translation. They said, well, let us take you to Isaiah 42, where I just took you. Isaiah 42 says there is no other God. She, they said, is this not God the Father? It says, there is no other God. And I said, there is no other God. True statement. They said, well, he is the Savior. And then they took me to Isaiah 45, which I read for you. And in Isaiah 45, it says, he saves. He alone. Then they just read verse 21. And I said, would it be too much trouble for you to read that in context? It says he gives his glory to nobody else, right? They said, that's true. He, he alone receives all the glory. And I says, and what does it say that we will do? It says, every knee will bow. So if you keep reading down to verse 23, it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I said, now can you use your same Bible, because I didn't have mine with me. Can you use your same Bible and go to Philippians chapter 2 and read verses 9 through 11? And so they opened their Bible to Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, where it says, therefore God exalted Christ through, past, beyond the heavens and gave him the name that's above every name and every knee bows and every tongue confesses and calls him Lord. I said, what do you do with that? They said, uh, I don't know. I said, I call, Je I, I call Jesus Lord. He's not a God. He is the God. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. There's no salvation, there's no exaltation, there's no glory that beyond him he fills all in all. And he does it, verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. I said, if you don't believe Jesus Christ as the only true redeemer and savior of sinners like you and me, you're going to hell. And they said, well, thank you very much, sir. We'll give that some consideration. And they left. So I don't know what happened to them today. But 
many people, I share the story, many people get it wrong. And because of that, they're not subdued to Christ. They're subdued to their own imaginations. Their own interpretations. Instead of using the scripture God's given us to exalt Christ. God gave him the name that's above every name. God put him in the place of Lord over all that is that we should be subdued to him. Many people today are living as if there is no God. Oh, I, I shared one other verse with them. I said, can I share one more thing? They said, sure, as they were leaving. I said, Romans 10, verse 9. This is what I'll leave you with, and this is what I want you to meditate on tonight. Romans 10, verse 9, he, I said, it says this, because if you confess, and I took their Bible at that point, and I read it, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want you to get. This is not just a theology lesson on the Trinity. But this, this is an essential of eternal living. You don't live. You don't get saved from this world into the glories of heaven apart from confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what you want your kids to do. That's what you want your neighbors to do. That's what you want your friends to do. That's what you want the cult people who come to your door to do. You lead them to Christ. Christ is their only hope. Christ is their only Savior. They must bow to Christ or they will not be saved. That's the operation of God the Father, the Son, and in the work of the Spirit. Philippians 2 brings us to that wonderful place so we understand God has determined, exalted people acknowledge Christ as Lord. Now let's move on to the sub subdued people so that we understand God has a full picture here. Okay, in interesting language. You don't also don't hear often. Um, where was I? Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth. Notice three categories. We bow in heaven. He's still Lord when we get to heaven. We don't get freedom to do our own thing. Everything we do is under the Lordship of Christ. In heaven, on earth, that's where we are, and under the earth. The language is typically used for hell. So it's referring to Angels and the redeemed in heaven, everyone on earth, and all the demons and unbelievers in hell. So it doesn't matter where you are, you will be subdued to the Lordship of Christ. There's only one master, and that's Jesus. He's over all and in all. And whether you're in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, you're subdued to him. So many of my buddies in high school would say, well, I guess I'm just going to hell, David, that's, but that's where all my friends will be. I said, no, won't happen. 
There's no friendship in hell. You're, you're missing the point. Even in hell, you're subdued to the authority of Christ. Christ doesn't give up His, his um, sovereignty or His supremacy and doesn't use it or exercise it in hell. He is over hell. He's over everyone under the earth, as well as over everyone on the earth, as well as over everyone in heaven. His authority reigns in all three places. What you're missing in hell is not the authority of Christ. You don't ever get separated from the supremacy of Christ. What you lose in heaven is you're separated from the loving kindness and mercy of Christ. That's what you're separated from. In hell, there's no physical joy because there's no mercy, there's no love. There's no spiritual joy because there's no mercy, there's no love. In hell, there's no friendships. There's no fellowship. Everyone is absorbed with their own selfishness and sin to such a degree. Everyone is wrathful, angry, and hurtful towards everyone. It's a demonic place. It's not a fun place. You read the verses. Hell is a place we want to shun. Heaven is a place we want to gain. If there's anything, any possible way I could do that for you, I would. Because I've read both sides of the story. And Christ is authoritative in both locations. Here, we're going one or the other. To heaven or to hell. It is appointed to man once to die. Hebrews 9, 27. After that, the judgment. Some are cast into outer darkness. And some are exalted into the glories of His presence, His mercy, His love, His kindness, into the fullness of Christ. Not just into hell, into the authority of His wrath and punishment and judgment. So, it's foolish to go through this world and not think about God. And not think about eternal destinies. Not think about this creation, that it's much bigger than this planet, that there are other places that we're going to that's beyond us now. Understand who determines that experience? Christ. Again, you say, well, you mean I don't have a choice? No. You're going to heaven or hell and you don't have a choice. What can I do? Beg for mercy. Beg for mercy. Only Christ can free you. Our job is to be running to Christ and asking Christ to save us. We don't save ourselves. We don't place ourselves into the next world. Only Christ can do that for us. So this is significant in verse 11. Every tongue confessing. It might help some of you if you understand that the, the word confess can be translated acknowledge. Because sometimes you think the word confess means conversion. Uh, it, it's, it's a word that means, 
yeah, I confess that. I believe that. I acknowledge that. Acknowledge might be a better translation for you if you're struggling there. But every tongue acknowledges Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The impact of that is huge. Once you get to that place, I realize Christ is Lord, then, then I need to be subdued. If he's Lord, I would be foolish to try to fight that, wrestle with that, to, to do anything but be subdued to his will. What is his will? I want to do it. Um, now, what hit me here is God's path of all of us through life. Do you see where he's taking us? So it doesn't matter when you were born. doesn't matter where you were born. What's he doing? He brings Christ to earth. Christ dies for our sins. Payment, take God's wrath for us. And then God says, therefore, since he does all of this, I'm going to highly exalt Christ. And Christ ascends. We'll see it in the book of Revelation. You see it in uh, Daniel chapter 7. You see it. You see it in Matthew 28. Jesus goes to God the Father after his resurrection. And God the Father says, I give you all authority in heaven and on earth. And Philippians 2 is talking about that he's exalted above with all authority by heaven and earth. And because he has that authority, he is Lord. And he's taken all of creation to a place to acknowledge that he is Lord. And we bow down, whether we're under the earth, on earth, or in heaven, when Christ comes back, doesn't matter where we are, we all acknowledge He is Lord. And we're subdued to Him. He's taken all of creation to one thing, worship. Worship Jesus. To the glory of God the Father. That's his chief goal. That's the Father's plan. Is to take everything he's created to a place where we bow and worship Jesus. Let me make it practical for you. Did you wake up this morning? Do you ever wake up on Sunday morning and say, Yes, Lord, finally. The first day of the week, the most important day of the week. Today, I get to do the most important thing I do on this planet. I get to gather with people and worship Jesus. I was born. I was created to worship Jesus. Everybody doesn't see it yet. They will. Our purpose is to bow and worship Jesus. There is nothing more important that I can accomplish on earth than the worship of Jesus. Have, has that registered in your thinking yet? It's important for me to support my football team, right? My basketball team, and I show up and I support. But so much more important. That I worship Jesus. It's important that I show up for work, right? Yeah. See, it's so, much, it's so much more important that I show up for worship. Because 
That's where God's taking me. That's where God's taking all of us. And it's to the glory of God the Father that I do it. Let that sink in. Some of you can quote the catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But you're not living it. You haven't really embraced the fact that you are here to glorify Jesus. To bow and worship. And if you don't get it, God says, I will give it to you. Whether you're under the earth, on the earth, or over. You will get it. Because God's in charge of this activity. And I just want you to see it now. And enjoy the beauty of it. Reprioritize your life if you have to. If it's not there. First day of the week. First activity of man, woman, beast, creation is to worship Jesus. That's God's desire. That's what God wants. And he wants us to begin to see that's a reward. When you get to that place, like, wow, I get to, I get to do something. Heaven rejoices over. Heaven gets excited about our worship. And, this, man, some of the songs we sang this morning just so wonderful in honoring and lifting up Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What's God's will for your life? Hope you get it. What's God's will for your week? I hope you get it. What's God's will next Sunday? I hope you get it. It just doesn't stop. And those of you who get it, that's why you feel so empty and alone on Mondays if you've missed Sunday. It's like, man, I don't even know what day it is now. My life seems so disoriented when I don't get to do what I was put on this earth to do. And that's to worship Christ. Well, as I read this passage, God's clearly targeting the lowly, what's his business? He's targeting the lowly for exaltation. There's no real crown wearers in heaven who aren't cross bearers on earth. Even the thief on the cross bore the cross of obedience to God, even in a few moments. Are we bearing that cross of harmony and humility and helpfulness? Because it's that living that God is targeting for exaltation. He says, let me show it to you in Christ. I've been showing it to you all through creation. Let me let you know where you're headed. Repent. Be subdued. Follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An unbelievable passage really for us that's just so plain and clear and we can't obscure it to a place where it doesn't matter. Father, forgive us of our sins and draw us to Jesus. If there are any, Lord, without Christ in this room, draw them to yourself. Help them to see there's no hope.
for all eternity without being subdued to Christ, without acknowledging Christ is Lord and Savior and my only one. There is no other. Father, let me glorify you by trusting and believing in Him, in Him alone. Thank you, Father, for this time to study your word. Thank you that you desire to give us this truth and not leave us floundering and in the desperation of falling into the pits of outer darkness forever. Father, save your people. Draw them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.